What's going on, people? It's your boy, Kalechi, back with another episode of the Ramblin' Mind Podcast. How are each and every single one of y'all doing today? I hope y'all are staying safe. I hope y'all are taking care of yourselves. I hope y'all are doing all the things you know you ought to do. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. We have about 50% of the United States adults adults is very important that i put that word adults that have gotten the covid vaccine which means freedom oh sweet freedom like yo yo this weekend i played soccer i've been repping soccer games i've been going outside and here's the thriller here's the kicker though i'm still wearing my mask because it's so weird for me to be around people like literally the other day i was on a soccer field while i was refing soccer i don't know why there's a different mentality for me between when i ref soccer games versus when i'm playing in soccer games because when i ref soccer games i get super sensitive about the people that i'm putting myself around i'm like oh my god don't touch me i'm gonna wear my mask but when i'm playing in an actual game i'm just kind of like eh i don't care that much i don't why is that the mentality but the point is i was out on the field and then it was all this crowds of people and it was just so weird from me i was like i don't want to be anywhere near people and i think it's going to be like that for a little bit for a lot of us because we're just gonna be like i don't want to be around you i don't know where you've been i don't know who you are i don't trust you so i don't want to be anywhere close to you right now but anyway the point is the good news is we can finally go back outside if you're vaccinated remember what tony fauci said he said you can go ahead and take off your mask because you are good to go the other good news is kids from the ages of 12 to 17 have already been approved to get the Pfizer vaccine and then the Moderna vaccine is also being approved for kids in that age range as well so this is all good news of us to be able to go back to some level actually go back to normalcy in generality which where people are not stuck in their house and not able to do anything that they would like to do so that is all awesome 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 news however We have to start this podcast off on a tense to be a little bit of a sad note. Tuesday marked one year since we all watched George Floyd get killed by police officer Derek Chauvin. Since that point, we've had multiple protests and multiple promises that were made from both corporations and from governments. On the corporation front, in the five years leading up to September 2020, the number of people with the title of head of diversity rose by 107%, director of diversity rose by 75%, and chief diversity officer rose by 68% according to LinkedIn. Diversity and inclusion hiring spiked last June following the massive Black Lives protests of last year. However, here's the kicker of this whole thing. The turnover rate is very high with most officers changing roles in less than three years. This is because CDOs, which is chief diversity officers, constantly run into walls at work while they try to make the changes that they were hired to make within the company. Just hiring a chief diversity officer is not a quick fix to the core problem that we have in a lot of businesses. The only way that we can fix this situation that we have right now is that businesses have to tie in business results to diversity and inclusion goals as well with a focus on longer term goals not with just making some kind of announcement just to make things look good some big businesses have already tied executive compensation to diversity targets such as chipotle starbucks mcdonald's nike and apple on the government side of things things are moochin uh, <laughs> things are moving much more slowly There was supposed to be a new police reform bill that was to be announced on Tuesday, but that has not happened yet. 
Last year was not the first time that the American businesses have had to change their response to societal due to societal influence. In 2019, which was one of the first podcasts that I did, a group called the Business Roundtable uh, came together, which is some of the largest companies in the United States, said that profits and shareholders are not the be-all, end-all for a business. We talked about that a lot, how businesses were like, yo, it's not just about how much money we make or how much we're providing to shareholders, which if you listen to a lot of people, that's all that matters. They said, no, that's not the be-all, end-all. And so they've been trying to change the way that they interact with society, which is why nowadays people trust their CEOs, people trust their company leadership much more than they trust the government to do what is right for them. The murder of George Floyd, however, elevated those concerns. This is a very key stat. Of the $50 billion that were pledged last year to help with racial equity following the death of George Floyd, only $250 million of that has been spent so far. So we still have a very long road ahead of us when it comes to racial and racial equity when it comes to us being able to say that we are moving forward when it comes to us means to say that we are making progress in this area of making sure that people have everything that they need to be able to do well at work and that the fact that people aren't being left out from growth just because of the color of their skin or the sound of their voice or or whoever they may be you know hopefully we'll continue to move in this direction and there are some positive signs but at the same time this is not time for us to just kind of be like ah we're good we we did some things last year no 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 no. we still have a lot more work to do when it comes to racial equity and the racial divide that we have in this company did i say company i meant in this country oh my gosh where is my mind but anyway moving on to a little bit more of a fun topic a little bit more not so heavy and burdensome topic amazon has agreed to buy mgm studios for about 8.45 billion dollars which is a lot of billions this is actually the second largest acquisition by amazon followed behind or ahead by whole foods which they paid about 13.7 billion dollars for mike hopkins who is the senior vice president of prime video and amazon studios said the real financial value behind this deal is the treasure trove of ip in deep catalog that we plan to reimagine and develop together with mgm's talented 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 team it's very exciting and provides so many opportunities for high quality story telling side note amazon also just paid about 10 billion dollars to have access to nf to stream nfl games moving into the future also did you know that amazon owned imdb yeah so amazon is trying to do all that it can to ensure that it's providing value for its prime customers you have to remember amazon prime is actually the number two streaming network behind netflix and the good thing about amazon is it doesn't necessarily have to advertise its platform because people already tend to use prime because people want that two-day shipping and all the goodies that amazon gives them so by adding these value propositions where it's like hey did you know that you can watch some movies on here as well where a streaming platform it adds value i remember the letter that jeff bezos his last shareholder letter where he talked about price versus value i think uh warren buffett is the one who says that price is what you pay value is what you get from it so if anybody had to pick between netflix versus amazon prime which one are you going to pick i can pretty much bet that 75 percent of people are going to go with amazon prime because it gives you a lot more value a lot more bang for your buck 
which is why Amazon continues to make this purchases and continues to build out all these different things. A couple of things to think about when it comes to Amazon acquiring MGM Studios is the IP, which is one thing that I'm learning more and more. Moving into the future, IP is king. Intellectual property, especially creative intellectual property is king when it comes to this whole game and this whole thing of streaming networks. That's why Disney continues to do well because it has a large catalog of IP. This is why we also have uh, Netflix spending all kinds of money trying to buy directors, trying to buy different studios to ensure that the Netflix has the base of IP to continue to attract new viewers and to continue to attract new people onto its platform. And that is what Amazon is trying to do with its acquisition of MGM Studios. A couple of brands that you think about when you think of MGM Studios that I didn't even know about until I started doing a little research on this topic is James Bond is owned by MGM Studios. RoboCop is owned by MGM Studios. The Rocky Trilogy is owned by MGM Studios. Lord of the Rings, which Amazon already has plans for a Lord of the Rings series that will be coming out, I think, either this year or next year. They've already spent, I think, about 500, where is it? They spent about $500 million on producing, yeah, 400 and $64 million in production for the Lord of the Rings uh, series, uh, series that they're going to be making. So one of the things is each and every one of these people are trying to build out an infrastructure, they're trying to build out a massive catalog of IP, because as you guys know, the streaming area is getting very, very crowded. I mean, recently we had AT&T spin off uh, HBO Max to be its own thing combined with the Discovery Network, and then we have uh, CBS, what, Peacock is over there, and we have a bunch of other ones, but you know, the main three are still Amazon, Netflix, and Disney, and Disney is gaining a whole lot of room, and Amazon is like, how do we differentiate ourselves from the crowd? How do we separate ourselves from all of the noise? Now, speaking of Amazon, on Tuesday, Washington, D.C. Attorney General, what's his name? Attorney General Carl Rayson filed an antitrust lawsuit against Amazon. He says that Amazon has used its dominant position in online retail market to win at all costs. It maximizes its profits at the expense of third-party sellers and consumers while harming competition, stifling innovation and illegally tilting the playing field in its favor. So basically, the lawsuit is saying that Amazon has, limit, has limited the ability for third-party sellers to sell on other sites for cheaper prices, which of course is very anti-competitive. The suit says that Amazon has a rule that straight up bans sellers from offering their products elsewhere, but the rule got removed in 2019 when the noise of anti-competition and anti-trust got a little bit louder. However, a similar rule has been reinstated, except this time it's not an obvious rule. Rather, rather than removing the online sellers, Amazon will bury the seller, which of course is also anti-competitive. So the lawsuit in and of itself is not exactly the biggest of deal because it's only in one place and that's in DC, but it does set a precedent for others to go after Amazon, much like they've done going after Facebook and also going after Google. Plus, it doesn't go after Amazon just as a monopoly with the fact that Amazon has AWS and its Amazon service as well, but rather it's going after Amazon for the way that it's using its data. In other words, by basically cheating its users out of being able to go elsewhere to be able to make money on other platforms, which is a lot more bigger deal and a lot can be a lot more stickier than the regular way that we've defined monopoly. Because if you just define monopoly as having 
the power to do whatever you want, which technically Amazon is a monopoly. However, Amazon can point to other businesses and say, I look, we compete against Shopify. Look, we compete against eBay. Look, you know, it has other other marketplaces that people can sell on. But the way that Amazon is going about it, this argument can maybe stand a little bit more in court. Now, speaking of antitrust, CEO Satya Nadella actually made some comments recently about Amazon and about anti-competition and about all kinds of businesses. He said, tech is becoming so pervasive in our lives, in our society and our economy that when it breaks, it's not just about any one tech breaking or one company breaking. It impacts us all. You can't, as a tech provider, platform creator, say, hey, I'll scale this and then worry about the unintended consequences. That's just not going to be acceptable in society. And then regulation, of course, ultimately will catch up. I think it's pretty self-evident, right? I mean, when you look at broadly what is happening in the advertising space, what's happening in certain platforms and the restriction on those platforms, I think it's clear as day where there's competition and where there isn't. Basically, he's taking shots at everybody. He coming for Amazon, he coming for Apple, he coming for Google, he coming for Facebook. He's just like, yo, y'all better be careful. He's like, Microsoft had to learn this the hard way 10 decades ago where we literally have to face the music and it kept us stifling from being able to do some of the things that we wanted to do. So if you keep running things the way that you guys are running it, I'm just saying, you're gonna have to face that scrutiny. You're gonna have to face the music of the beat that you've been playing right now. You're gonna have to dance to it at some point. So he was just warning the other tech giants about one, not just trying to run fast and break things, but rather actually think about what are the things that you are creating right now and how can it actually affect people's lives. But then on the anti-competitive side, like if you don't take advantage of the fact that you have such liberal freedom to do whatever it is that you wanna do, eventually, you're going to get regulated if you don't handle that properly, which Microsoft found out the hardest way. And now the final topic of the day, we're gonna close this out with the streaming wars and moving back to the whole, you know, streaming that we just talked about and movie theaters, which is the other side of the whole streaming wars, is movie theaters are crossing their fingers and toes and hoping that the age of streaming is not fully upon us. As COVID cases continue to decline and more people are opening up, opened up to the idea of leaving a normal life outside of their four walls of their home, like I spoke about at the beginning of the podcast, theaters are hoping to be part of the normal routine. Last week, F9, which is another Fast and Furious movie, debuted in, debuted in the international market and brought in about $162.4 million, which is the highest box office hit since the pandemic began last March showing that there is still life yet for theaters. With this weekend being Memorial Day weekend, movies like Cruella, A Quiet Place 2 are coming out. There is new hope brewing for the industry. Theaters need all the love they can get right now. In 2020, revenue plunged more than 80%, going from an $11 billion industry to $2 billion in 2020. However, the question remains, was 2019 the peak for movie theaters as we move into the future? Many studios and movie publishers have realized that there is room for all kinds of viewing and have decided to release movies in theaters and simultaneously on streaming platforms, i.e. Disney and HBO Max, as we've seen movies being released at the same time on both platforms. With major movies like Black Widow, Space Jam 2, Suicide Squad, James Bond, and Spider-Man all coming out later this year, we'll see if that, that is enough temptation to draw people to leave their homes and actually go into movie theaters. As J.J. 
Abrams puts it, with TV, the relationship is you're the parent and it's the child. In your house, it's smaller than you. You can turn it off, change it, and control it. With the movies, you're the child and it's the parent. You look up to it, it controls you, and it is taking you where it wants to take you. And this is why people will rather go the streaming route. I think this is right there just states exactly what the problem is when it comes to movies versus, I mean, movie theater, especially directors versus actually people who create streaming content. Because guess what? Convenience is key. People are not going to try and make things more complicated than themselves. They're going to use the most convenient option. Yes, there are going to be people who go to theaters, but at the end of the day, if I want to see a movie and I can pick up my phone or open my laptop or turn on my TV and do it on my schedule, not on another person's schedule, guess what I'm going to do on my schedule? Unless friends invite me out to go do something else, then I'll go see a movie outside my house. But if it's for me, convenience is key. This is why streaming continues to grow bigger and bigger and larger and larger. Because if somebody can pull out a phone rather than having to drive to a movie theater, then get comfortable in a movie theater and then pay expensive amounts of money for food and then drive back home all this stuff that is just eh, people are probably not going to do that and then when you think of parents oh my gosh parents even have to get a babysitter and then they have to pay the babysitter and then they have to do all of this like ah, we can just turn on the tv and we can all watch all this stuff together now yes do parents want to have some time away from the kids of course but i'm just saying like generally speaking it's a lot easier to just stream the movie and i'm not trying to be like a baby i'm a grown-up person this this analogy just shows where the mentality is for all the high-ranking producers in the movie industry they just don't understand the fact that people are not trying to be doing all kinds of hard stuff we want an easy path the path of least resistance is the path that people are going to go on that's just facts now to close things out it's time for me to start rampaging and complaining about the housing market once again the latest housing numbers from april just got released and yes the housing market still sucks if you're a buyer in case you forgot house sales fell six percent however house prices rose 11 percent to three hundred and seventy three thousand dollars it was just under two hundred and ninety thousand dollars this time last year it's a simple formula for supply and demand no houses on the market means paying more for the ones that are available some stats to see the picture of the situation from Redvin CEO, he says that 63% of people did not see the house that they actually put an offer in on and sales are closing 2% above listing, listing price, which seems small, but then when you combine that with the fact that home prices are already up over 20%, you see why this is a massive deal. So until we figure out the supply issues, until we figure out the commodity issues, until we figure out the home building issues, these house prices are going to stay high, which is huh, just unfortunate. It's just unfortunate for anybody who is trying to buy a house in this housing market because it's just not going to be going our way. But anyway, that's all I got for y'all. I hope y'all learned one, maybe two things out of this entire thing. And if you did, share this podcast with one, maybe two people. One person you love, one person you hate, and one person that you're just kind of like, eh, about. And I'm going to catch y'all up on the next one. Remember, generosity is always greater than greed. God bless each and every single one of y'all. And I'm out. Peace.